clear. Uh, that's my Obama. Oh yeah. Was it good? It was pretty good. Did it sound like Obama? No. But that is my Obama. I respect your Obama. I respect your Obama, but he is not my president. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Are we recording? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. I thought we were still doing tests. Well, we sort of are. I'm still doing a little tweaking, but we it's good enough. It's good enough for p- podcasting when you're a drunk idiot. I'm not drunk yet. When you are an idiot. Yeah. That doesn't need to be stated. <laughs> so, um, what are we going to do in Weird Al Dies? Who's going to sing our parody songs? Well, apparently you are. Oh, yeah. As you were saying before I hit record. All right. I think, well, I mean, kind of, but mine are only going to be about, like, stuff, like, stuff smelling bad. So I'm going to have to, uh, it's a lot more niche. (laughs) But I just think about that. What's the future of the novelty song? I thought you were going to say, what's the future of smells? Oh, well, the future of smells is that as long as things continue to exist, they will also continue to smell. Oh, yeah. Good or bad. I guess that's true. Every item has a scent. Listener, pick up whatever's to your left and uh, give it a smell. Tell me what you smell. (laughs) I'll write a parody song about it. Send your results into raincoatreport at gmail.com. (laughs) Dot com. <laughs> we'll compile, I'll make an album of the things you have smelled. Give me a little description of the smell <laughs> and I will, um, I'll cobble something together. You're a, you're a smell cobbler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm a smell smith. Well, Jeremy, it's one of the holiest seasons now. It's been a holy season for a while. You introduced Lent when it kicked off, I think, by Did, accident. Oh, yeah. I was. It was when we were talking about Heavenly Desires. I was trying to oh, make yeah. a very convoluted introduction. Well, it all worked Much out. Much as I'm doing now. <laughs> well, it all worked out because here we are two or three episodes later. <laughs> and uh, it's Easter week. It's also, I think, I think it's Passover. I think those usually are, uh, they come close together usually. I think so. I rely on you for my religious information. Well, you tell them what we watch. I'm going to find out when Passover is. Well, Jesus loves me. This I know. Because Wakefield Pool's Bible tells me so. Yeah. (laughs) That was good. That should have been the intro. Cut out all that stuff about smells. (laughs) Well, uh, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Hello. And, uh, yeah, today we are talking about Wakefield Pool's Bible, with an exclamation point. Yeah. Bible! Oh, yeah. (laughs) Gotta shout it. Have you figured out Passover yet? Oh, it's April 15th to the 23rd, so... So it's after Easter? A little bit. Sometimes they coincide a little bit more. I think it's one of those, it's one of those moving holidays, like Easter... Okay, it's confusing. Yeah. Or I guess it's it's before Easter and during Easter. It's all, you know, it all takes place at Passover. That's the Last Supper, I think, is a Passover supper. And um, <laughs> I like to think about the greatest Jewish man who ever lived, 
and who later became a Christian and then much later became canonized. And I'm talking, of course, about Harry Reams. Oh, and yeah. This is a season for the teacher, if for no one else. <laughs> As a man who traversed the world of Judeo-Christian values and uh, taught us all a little something about putting on a weird little finger thing and sticking it in Georgina Spelvin's butt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, wanna, I just want to take a moment to wish everyone a happy teacher mass. I think it's been teacher mass a couple times. I think that's really the one holiday we've established, and it just kind of is whenever I feel like celebrating it. <laughs> I think that's fair. Okay. We're nailing it down. It, it They didn't figure out Christianity in a day. I it, guess that's true. It took a while. You know, so we're nailing it down, but uh, today we're going to tread, I think, more familiar ground with a couple of stories from the Bible directed by our old buddy Wakefield Poole. Uh, boss, you want to tell us anything? Uh, yes, so Wakefield Poole's Bible came out in 1974. Um, it's a little bit different than the other Wakefield Pool movies that we have uh, reviewed thus far mm-hmm. uh, in two primary ways. First off, the eroticism in this film is i think strictly heterosexual it is and also it is uh softcore it is certainly softcore you see a little hanging dong yeah that's about it the rest of it no insertion no wet shot no um no nothing he was trying to get an r rating yeah, this was an attempt on his part to make something that was uh, more commercially successful and right. kind of a, a crossover film, which mm-hmm. was a big focus of people during the 70s at this point because, you know, we saw the big success that surrounded things like Deep Throat or even to uh, a more niche audience, Boys in the Sand. Yeah. Those gays and... are so niche. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I mean... But yeah, no, yeah. Those, those people had, you know, made some swings that were successes. I can understand wanting to move over more into the uh, mainstream if possible. Plus, he had come from a Broadway background anyway, so... Right. It would just kind of... He was just kind of dancing all over the place. He was, and, you know, I think we brought it up before, but he certainly wasn't the only one with this kind of goal to create a mainstream erotic film that... uh kind of bridge the the gap between the hardcore films and the more traditional uh, wide theatrical releases. Right. Um, in this case, we have quite an interesting uh, film made up of uh, some vignettes yeah. uh, based on stories of the Bible, mm-hmm. which I was, in almost every case, not actually familiar with. Okay. Well, um, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, most of them. Good. Uh, you are the Raincoat Report theologist. Yeah. That's, so uh, that's I rely true. on you for all of this stuff. Yeah, don't worry. I've got it covered. Um, what I will say is that you ain't never read a Bible like this one before. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, as far as name talent here, um, the one person that is obviously the biggest uh star of the film would be georgina spelvin mm-hmm. who uh plays the role of is it Bathsheba? uh bathsheba bathsheba yeah that's how we've always pronounced it where okay i come from 
Uh, that's probably correct because I had no idea how to pronounce it. It's okay, buddy. I'm, they don't say it either. That's right. another thing about this film. Uh, yeah, in fact, there is, I believe, one line in the entire film. Just like in Bijou. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and much like uh, Wakefield Pool's other films, this is a very theatrical uh, film. It's very colorful in a way and uh, surreal yeah. and uh, really interesting, uh, dialed into some classical music that mm-hmm. kind of drives things forward with a little bit of more uh, psychedelic tinges to things at times. Yeah, definitely. It's very, uh, I feel like it's very of its era of like 1974 films. Yeah. Um, this would be not that long after like 2001, like a space odyssey came out and that feel sure. like you can kind of feel some echoes of that. And it's uh the way it sort of uses classical music and like uh, just image composition instead of dialogue and things like that for a lot of the scenes. Right. Right. Um, you know, so things like that, um, some of the remainders of like the hippie movement. And then, um, there was also like, kind of like alternative Christian revival was also sort of happening at this time. Like Christian rock was coming into existence. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ superstar had been huge, like just a couple of years before, Oh, yeah. So this is all kind of coming together at about the same time. Uh, His take on it isn't what I would say mainline Christianity would call reverent, but it's it's definitely in the wheelhouse of something like Jesus Christ Superstar that reinterprets those uh, stories in a different light. Yeah, and I think that it's easy, especially if you're going to take something like religious stories and adapt them to pornography, it's easy to take a... Uh, a bit of a satirical tone to things mm-hmm. or to make fun of the stories. And this really doesn't, it, no. it's a little playful. Yeah. It definitely has like playful moments. Like uh, we'll get into it like in our reviews, but right. uh, it, it varies in tone and that's like by design because it's different vignettes, but yeah, they range from kind of psychedelic to playful to uh, everything in between. Yeah. A little bit of drama. Oh, there's a lot going on. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, this one's pretty interesting. Um, I feel like I always say that, and you do. it's That's and your because main of word. that, it's not meaningful when I use that you word. You need a thesaurus. I, I really do, uh, or at least a stegosaurus. Oh yeah. If you had a stegosaurus, man, no one would be able to fuck with you. He's got armored plates, and he's got that those spikes on his tail. If I had a thesaurus, I'd be better equipped to use a more diverse range of words. But more. if I had a stegosaurus, it wouldn't matter what words I use because I had a stegosaurus. If you had a thesaurus, you could say diverse range of words. You could just say verbose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I know so, what I'm getting you for your birthday. Oh, I hope it's a stegosaurus. I'm getting you a stegosaurus. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's better. You can play Sonic on him. <laughs> uh, I think we said probably enough but yeah. without spoiling uh, our opinions on it too much. Yeah, I- I'll uh, just say that you can definitely, despite it being heterosexually focused and softcore, you can definitely draw the line between the Wakefield Pool movies that we've covered and this one in its stylistic choices and the way that it's shot. So Oh definitely. Yeah, you can really see like he took stuff he'd 
applied in his earlier films and was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it big. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> interesting because of that. All right. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk more about Wakefield Pool's Bible. Fascinating. Curious. <laughs> quixotic. Strange. Uh, mysterious. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other words for you. I think interesting works. <laughs> okay. Well, you say interesting. I'm going to pee. Okay. can't just corner an opponent and just uppercut their health bar uh, into oblivion. I have no strategy in a fighting game. <laughs> so yeah, once they went 3D, it was all over for me. Yeah, I'm not very good at fighting games. Uh, I did play a lot of Soul Calibur, but it was more about the fact that like it had a campaign mode where you could just play it forever and unlock things. And Yeah, th- those are fun. Uh, and be- I think because of that, it wasn't brutally punishing at least on the mode that I was playing on, so you know. I like playing I like playing Kirby in Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> He's fun. I I buy all the Smash Brothers games, but I hate all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should stop. I know. I every time I like convince myself, you know, that it like gets this really one. good reviews and stuff, yeah. and I'm like, this one I'm I'm gonna sit down and I'm really gonna get into it. And then I'll play it for like six hours or so. So I, I get some time into it, but then I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really like this game. Yeah. It's kind of the same game each time. Yeah, more or less. Okay. Well, you know, let's get into something that's always fun and different. <laughs> Bible. Something, something interesting. <laughs> yeah, let's get into something interesting. <laughs> that's what you would have called something weird. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing I wasn't in charge of the company. Yeah, you would have, uh, branding would have been off. Right. So, Wakefield Pool's Bible opens with some credits. Is uh, it even like a yell? <laughs> it was like a robot yelled it. I like it, though. Keep going. Uh, we get credits over kind of an orchestral drone that's playing. Uh, then we get a shot of a mushroom cloud and a big crash. Yeah, that's how it all started. A bunch of shots of space with some lightning, some like blood vessels, what appears to be a fetus forming. Yeah, there's a fetus forming. And you know who that fetus's name was? What? Adam. Oh, yeah. And in fact, this is where we're introduced to Adam. Yeah, he's just born. Uh, Adam is played by Bo White in this. Bo White had... A career with six films, it looks like. So, actually, uh, one of the credits is an episode of Starsky and Hutch where he played the bellboy. Excellent. (laughs) He's really, he moved up. Uh, But in this, he's playing Adam, the first boy. 
He was. He's more of a ball boy in this. Yeah. Because you see his balls the whole time. Yeah, you really do. They're. Uh, he doesn't know Shane. No, he doesn't. It wasn't invented yet. No. Uh, just like a Segasaurus hadn't been invented yet. No. It's time would not come for thousands of years, I guess. How old is the Earth? <laughs> I think, uh, what, like 5,000 years? Yeah, something like that. Uh, anyway, so we see Adam awakening and he climbs out of a, a cavern area nude and uh, climbs around some other caves. He finds a pool in a cave and splashes around in it, swimming around. We see him climbing around a few different caves, and then he climbs up some vegetation and into some more exposed sunlight. Yeah, it's his first time out in the world. Uh, It's terrible. No, it's great. The world's a terrible place. It was fine then. He was the only one around. I guess that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, at that point, your opinion is the only one you got to worry about, and the world (laughs) is fine. I guess so. Well... After walking around a bit, he collapses onto a beach face down. Just another boy in the sand. Oh, yeah. He is a little boy in the sand. He's the first boy in the sand. Yeah. He crawls towards the ocean and then swims out a bit. We then see him walking around under the shade of some trees, and he eventually collapses onto the ground again. We then see some shots of the water, and then... We see a shot where the camera's peering through kind of an archway of stone. And it's here that we see Eve for the first time as she's emerging out of the water. Yeah, just like uh, Casey Donovan. Boys in the sand. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah, I think a lot. Uh, Caprice Cousel played Eve in this. She was only in this and one other film, which uh, is a shame because I thought she was pretty cute. Yeah, she's an attractive Eve. She is, so... She emerges from the water and uh, walks out between these rocks that the shot was going through, and she walks across the beach. We then see her walking through some trees, and she finds Adam on the ground. She sits down next to him and softly touches his body. He awakens and softly touches her arm and then her face. She puts her fingers in his mouth, and her nails are really dirty. Well, you know, it's... I mean, back here, back back in these days, you didn't know that you didn't want your cruddy fingernails in a man's mouth because no. you didn't even know there was a man. Yeah, you didn't even know this man until a moment ago. You didn't know you should have cleaned out your fingernails. <laughs> but, you know, this is the first time anyone's touched a mouth. That's true. She caresses his chest in midsections, and he starts to suck on her nipple a bit. He rolls and holds her a bit. She brushes the sand off of his back. We then cut to him on top of her as they kiss and embrace. After a bit, they seem to be fucking at this point. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of Eve's face reacting to this as he kisses her face and neck. Gotta say, they go missionary, but you know, that was the only position that had uh, been invented yet. Yes, and this is the invention of it. Yeah, this is the invention of missionary, so really... This is equivalent to uh, those chimps touching the monolith in 2001. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This is what set humanity on the on the track. What a track it was. Yeah. Look where we are now. <laughs> look at me now, Mom. Yeah, look at me now, Mom. I'm 
Just an ape with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> After a while, we see Adam's face reacting with his mouth flinging open, and uh, apparently he finishes. He rolls off of Eve, and they gaze at one another and kiss more. Then Eve, in the single line of the film, yeah. says, I'm so hungry. Yep. Then we get a smash cut to a close-up of a couple mouths eating apples. They're eating so many apples. This fruit is all forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we have, in fact, transported ourselves a bit into the future. Yeah, there's no time. God doesn't get in there and kick them out for any of that stuff. Yeah, we don't we don't spend any time on that stuff. God's really not very present in this, which uh, it's a good way to. It's, it's interesting. Well, you wait. Don't see, well, I'm just like you don't see like a lot of Christian like or even Christian related stuff that doesn't at least like you know bring some of that in. So I think it's yeah. pretty interesting in that regard, as you would say, right? <laughs> as I would say, um, I will say that one of the things that Wakefield Poole talked about when referring to this film is he found it kind of off-putting that so much of the stories in the Bible put blame on women for various things. Right. Obviously, Adam and Eve being like one of the chief examples. Right, yeah. So the fact that he kind of skipped over that part altogether uh, kind of lines up with that. Right, and yeah. And it kind of lines up with the rest of these stories as we go through them, too. Yeah, I just thought it was worth mentioning here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for our listeners who have not seen the film yet. And I really do recommend checking it out, even at this early stage. Yeah. I was real into it. I don't know what rating I'm going to give it. Okay, we'll uh, we'll figure it out. It's going to be a roll of the dice. We see a large tray of fruit in the middle of a table. And here's where we get introduced to Bathsheba yes. and uh, Uriah. Yeah, I didn't know his name because they don't say anything. Uh, that's her... I didn't know his name from the Bible, but I think that is accurate. Uh, he's more of a He-Man type in this. He's more of a centurion of Rome. He has got metallic armor that does not cover the uh, the pecs at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's wearing like what you would make uh, like a lady wear in like an MMO. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I dig it. So Uriah is sitting there drinking and reading a scroll and not paying attention to his wife at all. She's tossing fruit at him for attention, playfully at first, but as she keeps going, she starts to toss a bunch of grapes at him, kind of angrily. Yeah, she, he, she's bored, he doesn't care. He's yeah. Trying, he's trying to pick a fight. We've all been there. Uriah then bangs a gong, and their handmaiden shows up and starts to dance for them. As she gets closer to Uriah... We see her nipples exposed in her top. Bathsheba's glaring at her, and uh, finally the handmaiden leaves. Bathsheba herself exposes her breasts and stands up and walks towards Uriah. She stops when her dress gets caught under her chair, and she has to backtrack and pull it out from under the chair. Yeah. At first, I uh, didn't think that was intentional, but uh, it was good. It was a good bit of sight comedy there. Yeah, there's a, there's a several examples of physical comedy in this film. That's yeah. interesting. In this segment, <laughs> God damn it, in, I said it again. I know. In this segment in particular, uh, I think he had because I watched some of the little like extras and stuff on the DVD. He had said this one in particular was meant to be like more of a comedy, kind of like a tribute to like a 
It's like a Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton type of situation. Yeah. And uh, I think he definitely succeeds in that in this one. Yeah, he uh, he did bring up that it, the film as a whole, in a lot of ways, is a tribute to silent film. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see that in like the previous segment as well, just in the way that all of the storytelling's being done visually and mm-hmm. all of that. But uh, I would definitely see what you're saying here as far as it being uh, related back to like Chaplin and Keaton and stuff like that here. Hell yeah. She grabs a cherry and starts to swirl it around her nipple, but she gets her shoe caught in the helmet on the ground that stops her <laughs> as she's walking. Uriah then hits the gong again, and the handmaiden comes out holding a spear and shield, which she hands to Uriah. The dancer also helps get the helmet off of Bathsheba's uh, shoe and hands it to Uriah, putting it on his head, and then Uriah takes off. I guess he's got soldier work to do. Yeah, there's a in the Bible, there's some kind of war on against the Hittites or the Amekalite, you know, some rival tribe that God was like, you just got to wipe them out. Yeah. <laughs> like I, One of them, he wanted all their foreskins. I don't remember which one, but I do remember that from the Bible. He's like, you need to bring me 10,000 of their foreskins. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was crazy for them. <laughs> he was crazy for foreskins. Yeah. That's what God desires above all else. He doesn't want your money. <laughs> he doesn't want, you know, your love and devotion. He wants that little bit of skin. To take off your dick to make sex just a little less pleasurable for you. <laughs> That's all he wants. Our God is, is an awesome God. <laughs> <laughs> well, now left alone, Bathsheba stares at a glass and runs her finger along the top. The handmaiden comes and starts to clean off the table. So Bathsheba walks outside into like this atrium area outside her home. Yeah. And she sits down and starts to fan herself. After the handmaiden is out of sight, finishing uh, cleaning inside, because there's kind of just an open doorway facing this atrium. Yeah, they didn't have doors yet, I think, mostly. Um, they had curtains and sheets and such. Like you right. Put on a... Like you're a... Like a hippie crash pad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, there's no curtain here, just an open doorway facing the atrium. So anyhow, once the handmaiden's out of sight, Bathsheba starts to dance to herself, and we hear some uh, music playing in the background. She puts some fruit in the bust of her dress, trying to act like she has larger breasts. She seems to be kind of contemplating in her head how to get her husband's attention more. As she's looking at herself in the mirror, she catches a glance of someone who's watching her. So, David is watching her from, like, a balcony overlooking this atrium. Yeah, he's got a funny little hat on. Yeah. (laughs) He's kind of hidden behind some vegetation, but not hidden enough for her to not notice that he was there. Yeah, he's in, like, a, kind of, like, like within, like, a trellis sort of situation there. Yeah. So at first she reacts in a bit of embarrassment and sits down and acts like she wasn't doing anything. Uh, and of course she doesn't acknowledge that she sees him. We get some shots of David himself as he's peering around a curtain to watch her. After a few moments she starts to slowly raise her dress to exposing her legs. 
Meanwhile, David's stumbling over himself to watch her as she's unbuckling these long sandals that have straps that go all the way to her knees. Not unlike the dominatrix we saw in an episode of Pornhub Roulette on Patreon recently. Oh, yeah. I guess that would be last week's episode yep, now. That was last week's episode now. Um, the post I made for that immediately got destroyed by Instagram. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> the, the one on Facebook is a, uh, it's a, it's an abstraction <laughs> or the one on Instagram, whatever it is. They're both owned by the same dumb motherfucker. <laughs> she approaches this, uh, this bath fountain. Uh, thing in the atrium area yeah and starts to slowly undress in stages as david's continuing to watch she has like two layers of skirts that she takes off and then she gets into the tub before taking off the final piece a long tunic she's wearing yeah um i'll say this goes back to the earlier scene in the old days you had to really tease the strip tease out for like a while oh yeah yeah because the only position was missionary Still, oh yeah. <laughs> still, still. They hadn't come it'd been a couple thousand years, but they really hadn't come up with a new one yet. Right. Uh doggy was still generations away. <laughs> Man first had to domesticate the dog before he could uh really understand the intricacies of uh how they did it. I guess that's fair. It peaked in the early nineties with uh Snoop Dogg's doggy style. <laughs> stuff you know oh yeah yeah well i should be able to teach sex ed you should from a religious perspective (laughs) as she's taking off the tunic she stops kind of clutching her breasts at first and kind of psychs herself up for it but then finally throws the tunic aside and uh we see her complete nudity She then sits down in the water and starts to splash herself as David starts to kind of climb down the trellis from the balcony a bit, continuing to creep on her from uh, a little bit closer now. She stands and kind of splashes a bit under the fountainhead that's spitting water into the tub. David climbs down a little bit more and seems about ready to fall. And then we hear trumpets sounding. David nearly falls when startled and... Bathsheba redresses and walks out of the atrium area. Uh, Now she's partially covered by plants and ivy. Yeah. Uriah resurfaces walking in, but he just came in to grab a knife that was stuck in some cheese in the table and then runs right back out. He does a little hile first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, At that time, you would call it a Roman salute, but... uh... Thought it was an interesting choice, still all the same. (laughs) Fair enough. Bathsheba's clearly frustrated, so she undresses again, throwing her clothes kind of angrily this time. Yeah, she's pissed. She's not getting any dick at all. No, so she goes back out into the atrium, throwing the... There there was kind of a gateway in between her living area and the atrium, which she kind of throws open. She does throw it open, and it shows it like multiple, multiple times. Oh, yeah. It, the, very so, dramatically. I thought that was nice. That's always good, you know? You don't see that very often in these films. She continues forward, presenting her body and throwing her arms up, but she no longer has an audience as she's peering around. She's obviously disappointed here and seems lonely. Yeah. She then sits on the edge of the tub and starts to pull the 
leaves and ivy off of her skin. She picks up a potted plant and throws it against the wall. She starts to storm back inside, but she is shocked when someone sees her. Inside is David, and she's there still nude. He starts to undress and sped up footage. Uh, and then in just a tunic and a hat, he chases her around in a Looney Tunes chase segment. Yeah, it's, it's a very Benny Hill type of situation. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Looney Tunes, Benny Hill, Scooby-Doo, all the same. Right. He does all of them. They run from one area, they come out another. Yeah. It's all in fast motion. It's great. There's no yakety sacks, but uh, <laughs> there is some pretty energetic, I think, classical music going on. Right. I'm cultured, but I'm not really cultured enough uh, to pick out classical music by name, even like the most well-known stuff. Right. Uh, it's just, it's too old. <laughs> right. I want to wanna rock. You know? Yeah. Like D. Snyder of old. Yes. <laughs> well, that's basically classical music now. At this point, yes. We're as far from when D. Snyder wrote I Want to Rock to when Beethoven wrote his final symphony as we, I don't know, they really <laughs> fell apart. It's good. I get it. Okay. Yeah. The history, it's mysteries. Bathsheba hides behind a gong with plants and seems to be totally hidden. She then slams a plant against the gong and the handmaiden appears distracting David. Then we see David chase Bathsheba into the atrium and he lands on top of her, comically humping her. We then cut away to our next segment. Excellent. I, I like how uh, each segment leads into the other pretty naturally. Yeah. It's kind of like a Mr. Show kind of deal. Sort of, yeah. Sort of, yeah, you know. We cut to some shots of a woman's eyes through a veil, and we see a knife getting stolen from its sheath, uh, and the owner of the sheath's hand grabs towards it, noticing the knife missing. Uh, a little blue woman's running away from the guy with the knife. Yeah. And this is uh, Samson. Yeah, I don't remember the little blue people in the Bible. <laughs> I don't know if they were there. Uh, but they are in Wakefield Pool's Bible, and that's what's important. Oh, sure. Of course. Samson chases the little uh, blue girl and uh, gets close to her, but she swings the knife at him. He then grabs her and holds her up. And another little woman runs away. He seemingly chokes the life out of this uh, little thief and drops her on the ground. We get an interesting shot, <laughs> God damn it, uh, yeah. where he wipes the blue off of his hands yeah. and onto his top. Apparently it's a Hitchcock reference per okay. uh, Wakefield Pool's own uh, reminiscence. Apparently there's a couple different references to like classical like classic films throughout this that once okay. again i'm not always cultured enough to understand i do like the shot before that though where uh you get the flexed muscle on like the little hands just kind of grasping and grabbing oh yeah yeah that's a very wakefield pool shot that focuses on like just like one specific part of like the anatomy to kind of you know touch and focus on yeah you do yeah. see that a lot in this one and in his other films but uh this one is more dramatic because they're blue yeah like a smurf Smurfs in the Bible? I should know that. You should, well, Don't ask me. Okay. Are Smurfs <laughs> in Wakefield Pool's Bible? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> he kicks the little corpse away. 
We then see the other little woman running away into some sort of surreal landscape. Like, there's this weird, almost like tree-like looking spiral thing that they run past. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I just call it a spiral. I don't really know what it's supposed to be. It's like maybe like a sandy dune or something. I'm not 100%. It looks cool. It looks cool. And behind it, it doesn't make any more sense than in front of it. So don't worry too much. We then see some veiled figures approach the little corpse. It's here that Delilah emerges. She crouches down next to the little woman's corpse. The veiled people wrap the little person's corpse in a large sheet and hand it to Delilah, who carries it off as the veiled people walk away. Delilah carries the body down that same surreal pathway that we saw the other little person run down. We then see Samson... And he snatches a pot away from a veiled woman and drinks from it. We then see the other little person, the living one, holding Delilah's hand. And she points towards Samson. Samson looks up from his drink and locks eyes with Delilah, who walks right past him. Samson starts to follow her. So, this whole place that they're doing all of this in is like a weird city made of sheets. Yeah, it's just a very like abstract little set. It reminds me of on the TV show Community, there's this uh, point where they build like a blanket fort that like stretches like a lot of the campus <laughs> of the school. I don't know if I've seen that one. That sounds uh, beautiful. It's <laughs> it's it's ridiculous, yeah. but yeah, it's like a giant blanket fort that like is encompassing most of the campus that they're on. Yeah, that's what the city is. More uh, yeah, or more or less, yes. Uh, the sand, kitty litter. <laughs> Fair did, did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, that's what it was. It, it feels crunchy. They see so much kitty litter to fill this little area. I wonder how much they bought. I feel like it takes so much to fill the cat box. Yeah, and that's just the, that's a small area. Yeah, a very small area compared to these pathways. Yeah. I think they they blew most of the budget, I think, on this scene. (laughs) They might have. (laughs) We see Samson following Delilah down that same surreal pathway, and she stops and looks at him for a moment before disappearing, and he continues to follow her into this weird, surreal wooden hallway. Delilah then appears in front of him, and she removes her cape. And uh, she has these, like, uh, servants, I guess. Yeah, there's there's various servants of Uh, a sort. Yeah, and one of them comes and takes her cape away from her that she had just pulled off. And uh, they hand it to the little woman. Samson walks up to Delilah and puts his hand on her shoulder, but she stops him. He hands her a pouch of coins, which she takes and throws to someone else. She sits next to a wooden crate, which Samson puts his shoes on, and Delilah unties them and takes them off. Delilah unhooks a chain and a lock from Samson's belt and hands it to a servant who walks by. She continues to undress him down to his little cock pouch undies. She then unties his undies as they look at each other face to face. One of Delilah's servants is pouring water into a tub, and another comes up behind a, behind a, 
Another comes up behind Delilah and starts undressing her as naked Samson sits and watches on. Delilah finishes undressing herself. She then sits next to the pot of water and stirs it with a little skimmer thing and pulls out a sponge. She squeezes it onto Samson's chest and starts to rub his body with it. The little person is watching on, and Delilah's servants bring her a block of soap, which she uses to clean Samson's hair. She towels his hair down, and as she does, he grabs the towel from her and throws it down. Delilah then leads him to a bed, which he lays down on. One of Delilah's servants brings an elaborate glass, which she takes and pours a liquid into from a brass jar. Samson goes to drink, and she stops him grabbing a white jar and pouring a little from that into the glass as well. Delilah lays down next to him, and he drinks the contents of the glass. Delilah hands the glass off to a servant. She rubs a small dish and then uses those fingers to massage Samson's lips and then rubs his nipple. Yeah. She then drops some oil across his chest and midsection and starts to massage him. She rubs his chest and stomach up and down and glides her hands down to the tops of his legs as well. They exchange glances and finally, we see Delilah's head dip down out of frame and she's seemingly going down on Samson. Yeah, and you, you sort of see it from behind, but right. nothing's ever shown. He lays back and seems to be getting really into it. But then we see the other little person repel from the ceiling She pulls Samson's head back and brandishes a knife, which she uses to cut chunks of his hair off. Yeah, that's how he loses his power. Yes. Yes. Did you know that? Uh, slightly. Okay, good. I had, I had a vague knowledge of this. All right, well, that's how they do it. Well, I I knew that he had a thing with his hair giving him power. I knew that much. I didn't know that a little person repelled from the ceiling and cut his hair off. I don't think that's exactly how it happened. I, I I googled some of this and I can't find the little blue people anywhere. This is purely an artistic invention. Delilah sits up <laughs> and we see her laughing, but she goes back to work blowing him. The little person continues to cut chunks of Samson's hair. A group of Delilah's servants then grab Samson's arms and legs, and one puts Delilah's ornate necklace back around her neck. Delilah picks up the little person who holds the knife in her hand. Delilah is watching and smiling, and we see one of her servants charging towards him with a torch pointed directly at him from yes. a tunnely POV shot from Samson's POV. Yeah. yeah, and he gets blinded. That's what happens in the Bible. Oh, okay. Yeah, they blind him. Okay, I didn't know that part. That makes sense. Yeah, and then they make him go work in a grain mill. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And eventually he brings down a temple on himself and kills everyone. Oh. It's pretty cool. His hair grows back because they're like, oh, let's not keep cutting his hair. <laughs> Just have him mill this green. Well, we cut from that immediately to a desert. We see a woman in a long dress walking along. This woman is credited as Mary. Yes. Uh, So... She's holding a jar on her shoulder and pressing it against her cheek. She then turns around in shock and drops the jar of water, and she sees what is credited as the angel, which Uh is an interesting 
interpretation of an angel. Yeah, it's a different kind of angel. Yeah, he's he's got these like long transparent rods or something in each hand. Yeah, they're like, I guess they're supposed to be his wings or like an interpretation of that. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what we're getting at. He swings them towards her a few times and we see light spread out over her in a very busy, sparkly way. Mm-hmm. She looks back up towards him, and then we see an overlay of a neon star, and then the words Bethlehem in no vacancy. Oh, yeah. And then we cut to credits. Yeah, that was... That was... Was that the Immaculate Conception? It sure was. All right. That's how it went down. Be not afraid. Okay. That's what the angel said. That Not makes in sense. the film, because he doesn't talk. Right. <laughs> but that was Wakefield Pool's Bible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to give our thoughts on this uh, religious text. Wakefield Pool's Bible! Welcome back. Welcome back to the Raincoat Report. It was a very long break for us. <laughs> uh, boss answered the mail. I I answered to the mail. And he answered to a mail, and I kind of paced around a kitchen. Um, and now we're back for the Raincoat Review. So <laughs> I guess I will uh, take it away. Take it away. I think this film was great. Okay. Um, I was really into it. I... I just, uh, I feel like I've been gushing about it pretty much the whole time, and I've said a lot of what I would like to say, but I think this is a step above some of the, the other Wakefield Pool films we've covered. Okay, yeah. Just in, uh, I feel like in those, he was kind of finding uh, his ground. I think uh, this one's pretty similar to Bijou in that there's no dialogue at all, pretty much. Right. Uh, which, uh, I guess he kind of that was kind of a forerunner to this. Here, I think he executes it a little bit more successfully, having more of it choreographed to music than in Bijou, which was a. Uh, there's music in that, but some of it's just stolen Led Zeppelin, right? Uh, and this time around, I think he had really settled, uh, found his subject matter, and put is all into uh, each of these little vignettes and trying to uh, bring them to life for a modern audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really, I enjoyed it throughout. So my favorite scene is probably the David and Bathsheba scene. I think that was a very fun little throwback to a uh, classic physical comedy. But uh, for a cast of unknowns, I think they all do very well because it is... Not particularly easy to act without dialogue and get your point across, but everyone here is, I think, very effective at doing that sort of nonverbal acting that 
And uh, Wakefield Pool's direction really drives the story, so you know what's going on throughout, despite the lack of real context or dialogue. I had kind of fully expected to go in and be kind of bored with it. Okay. Um, just because I knew it was a more or less a silent film about Bible stories that was softcore. Right. So that kind of sort of thing sort of tempered my expectations, but uh, I was really impressed with it. I think this is one people should definitely check out. I feel like I usually have less to say when I like a film a lot because I'll just spend the whole episode talking about it beforehand. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of what I did in this case. Uh, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I'm going to give it a, a four and a half out of five. I'm giving it a very strong recommendation from my side. Whether you like uh, sex films or just uh, artistic films, I think this one would satisfy either. I think this is one that uh, maybe your grandma would like. <laughs> she likes that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. She loves the Bible. And she loves reading romance novels. <laughs> Take her to see it. All right. All right. Um, I enjoyed this film as well. Uh, I think that there was a lot of very creative cinematography here and uh, visual design, which is definitely one of Wakefield Pool's uh, biggest strengths. I think that... The stories chosen here are uh, fairly compelling and different. I appreciate the different kind of tones that everything had. I would say that to me the most erotic segment would be the Adam and Eve sex scene at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. That's probably the most... Uh, well, I don't know. There's some... I guess depending on what you want, the scene between Samson and Delilah is pretty erotic with her undressing him and everything first. Yeah. Uh, before she burns his eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> everything up until that was fine. <laughs> um, overall, I, I think that it's a interesting... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Boss almost threw his headphones off in frustration. I, I think that it was a fun film... And a unique take on the subject matter. Um, I would give it three and a half stars. You think so? Yeah. Didn't quite capture you as much? Uh, perhaps not as much as it did for you. I don't have the same uh, devotion to the source material that you have. Yeah, um, I, I had to do some internet searching to figure out what was going on. Or like the basics of these stories that were being recreated. Right. Other than Adam and Eve, which I had a... At least a, a working knowledge of yeah. enough to get through. That one's just history, so everyone should know that. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> um, it was fairly short, uh, which is good. It, it gets through all of the stories uh, pretty quickly. Uh -huh. um, I didn't find myself like being really, really engaged with the stories as much as I was with just the filmmaking itself. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but and that was a large part of it for me, for sure. It was also like the diff for the filmmaking. I really feel like he. Uh... <laughs> 
Jeremy just realized that I, I clicked on the link that he sent me, which was the thesaurus.com page for the word interesting. <laughs> no, I, I think that there was something compelling and alluring about this film. It was amusing and curious, delightful, attractive, <laughs> beautiful, and engaging. It sure was. Wow. <laughs> All right, so... Beautiful is an inter is an interesting synonym for interesting. I will say, yeah, I think I can use interesting in that context. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Patreon.com slash Raincoat Report is where you can support us directly. Yes, you get uh, two bonus episodes a month. Yep, one just dropped last week, and one will be coming out next week. uh, Continuing our dive into the uh, work of axel braun yes uh boss gets political and i get spooky so you know check it out (laughs) uh but if you can't support us financially just uh rate review and subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend anything we can do to get some more ears on the podcast is uh appreciated yep but in the meantime if you're uh you know in the meantime if you uh Look outside your front door and uh, see something interesting. Don't forget your raincoat. <laughs>